No one can ever lay any other real foundation. That one we already have, Jesus Christ. So if you'll all rise. Can everybody hear me okay? All right. Sorry for my low voice, but I praise God for my low voice. It's my voice. It's the voice he's given me, and I. this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice, and I'm going to be glad in it. Um, this is a tough passage today. It's kind of a strange passage. It's a, about judgment and things that you think, well, I don't want to go to church and hear about all that. But you know what? Judgment is part of it. God judges the wicked, all right, and God rescues the godly. And so that's what you got to remember today is, is you go, okay, well, I don't want to be part of that group. <laughs> and, uh, and, but Peter hits this head on today. I think the theme is how to spot a fake. Now, if you're looking up there and you can't spot the fake sheep, I don't know, maybe I can't help you today, but we'll all stop and pray for you and lay hands on you. But you know, false teachers are among us. They were among us at the time right after Jesus died, and they're still among us. And Peter tells us that that's going to be the case. It's always interesting to me that people would prey on the sheep of God. You think, uh, Doreen sent me a beautiful email this morning about false teachers. It's really, it's about truth and about falsehood. And it's kind of complicated and poetical, and I'm not very poetical, so I'm not going to go there. But it basically says that often, usually, falsehood dresses up with truth's clothes on. And what I'm going to talk about today is when we spot false teachers, we have to realize that the vocabulary they use doesn't go with our dictionary. It's a real interesting perception, but there's always this element. So if you chapter, and we'll read this now, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly, let me come over here, secretly bring in destructive heresies. That's wrong teaching, okay? That's things contrary. When I say orthodoxy, I'm talking about the straight up biblical truth we've had for 2,000 years. When y'all hear that word, even denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed by covetousness. They will exploit you with deceptive words for a long time. Their judgment has not been idle. Their destruction does not slumber for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness of the ungodly and turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes condemn them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelt, especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. We'll talk about that some more on Wednesday. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure 
to carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and they cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Wow. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, all of your word is inspired. It is true. And so, Lord, help us today to be able to know how to spot a fake when that comes along. So, Lord, I just uh, pray that you would speak to our hearts and show us some ways today where we can decipher and discern when we see godliness and, Lord, when we see wickedness dressed up like godliness. And, Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You, if you're looking up there, yeah, there's a $100 bill. This says how to spot a counterfeit bill. Okay, some of y'all may want to look at the concentric fine lines, portrait, serial numbers, Federal Reserve indicator, microprinting, check face, plate numbers, back plate, color shifting. You know the best way to spot a counterfeit bill? No, the best way to spot a counterfeit bill is to know what a real $100 bill looks like. And when they train people in banks, they show them what a real authentic bill looks like more than pointing out every way it can be counterfeited. And we're going to see that that's kind of works for us when we know what truth is, what God's truth is, what the word preaches. And oh, it's a great, it's just summarized of all the cults that have come along, but you don't even have to take that book. Not that I don't want you to buy his book, but you don't have to learn about all the cults. You just have to learn what does God's word say about truthfulness and about about what truth is. So we're going to look at that today. Peter's telling us that there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be judgment on them. And this, I want to tell you, if you're visiting for the first time, you go, why in the world would that pastor pick out that passage? Because at Union Grove, we study the Bible verse by verse. So wherever we are, that's what we're studying. So if you've come today and go, I don't want to go there. They talked about all that judgment and unrighteousness. Well, just wait around. We'll be to some other passage that's softer, maybe on another day. I did a Google and did a screenshot. Look over to the right on the screen. It says, how to tell the difference between fake and real. And I only got to REA. And there is so much on the Internet about how to t detect fake things from real things. I thought it was interesting. I read about fake coins when we were in Ephesus. Sandy and I got off of the boat or the bus and we're there in the market. And there was a thing that said, Remember, fake ancient relics. It said fake ancient relics. Another one said fake ancient coins. Y'all been there and saw that. We kind of laughed. We thought, wow, it's right up there. And then we know if you've ever been to those places like Ephesus, the guy opens, remember, the, opens this thing and it's lined with what? Watches. All these Rolex or Ralex watches or Relex or whatever they How can I take your money today? Boy, evil is pretty obvious, aren't they? But interesting thing about those Rolex watches, if you open them up and you look inside of them, you can tell they're fakes. And that's how people are. That's how pastors are. If you look inside of their life and just not on the outside and hear what they're saying, then you can pretty much determine if they're a fake or not. He goes on their real iPads, Louis Vuitton. I don't even know what Louis Vuitton is. Look at this one. How to tell the difference between fake Yeezys and real Yeezys. Does anybody in here know what a Yeezy is? Okay, Gracie knows. I don't know what it is. 
Well, now you know you can look up how to figure out a fake one from a real one. Anyway, the point of all this is that if you look inside of a fake, you can pretty much tell what it's made of. We're not to be faked out or fooled by the appearance of somebody or these kinds of things, but we look into the heart. Peter writes us this passage warning us that false teachers will always be with us, and God loves you and me so much that he shows us in his word what they look like. It's hard to sometimes see them because they dress up with so much of truth's clothes on. People don't want to look at her things. They don't want to look at the naked truth. So they see this falsehood dressed up in truth's clothing. Like I say, it was kind of an odd poetic thing, but I get the, the idea. And we're going to find six things here. Number one, false teachers are always around. Can you all hear me okay? They're always going to be around. Secondly, they distort, distort the truth. They usually don't come out with some harebrained, really weird deal, like saying, you're a Martian and, and uh, you know, God has a plan for Martians. It's something that's mixed up with some truth of the Bible. They deny Jesus as being God incarnate. For me, that's a, big, a biggie. They broaden the way. What do I mean by that? They broaden the way of living. They begin to explain away sin. Old-fashioned sin becomes something about, well, you're just really loving others. Well, no, God has certain rules about who we love or whom we love and how we're to love them. They cover up their motives. They have selfish motives. They try to sell shotgun shells that cost $10 for 50. Just teasing you, Larry. But Larry, Larry can tell you, Michael can tell you, I can tell you, and probably Wayne can tell you that when you are in a position of spiritual authority, there's all kinds of things that come at you, and you have every opportunity to avail yourself of the weakness of others for your own gain, either sexually or uh, monetarily. It's just a position that you're in. And so there are those that are false teachers that go ahead and take advantage of those things, and they take advantage of the sheep that they're supposed to be shepherding, and they themselves become wolves, okay? And lastly, they despise authority because authority means accountability. One thing I love about having an associate pastor and good leadership in the church is that if someone, if I begin to teach heresy here, I have enough confidence in you all that somebody, either someone on the EC or Dr. House or, or Michael, someone's going to pull me aside and go, now, wait a minute, where you are is you're off in the weeds. That's accountability. Yeah, Stephanie. It can't be long because we're recorded and Randy's going to have to edit this out. So go ahead. Well, he was using words, see, in vocabulary that you use, but he had a different dictionary. If you look those up. So we go to verse one in chapter one. Uh, well, on Wednesday, I referred to the prophets of old. Remember I talked about, and Peter's, it's really interesting. He says, these are not subject to interpretation. He says that about the prophets. He said, there was one way that they're, that they are, um, someone's asking to, for me to share the password. I, I can't do that right now. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, uh, 
that there's one way of interpretation of these things. When things were interpreted of old and we looked at four prophecies on Wednesday, they came to pass. Moses addressed this in Deuteronomy 18.22. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing follows not or comes to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. But the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Don't be afraid of him. He's a fake. That's basically what Moses is saying. And there's a whole chapter in Deuteronomy where Moses talks about how to spot fakes. As I said, they use our vocabulary, but they don't use our dictionary. They will talk all about Jesus and never really tell you who Jesus is in light of who Jesus said that he was. Do you all follow me? All right. They talk about salvation but salvation from what? There's no talk about the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, about a blood sacrifice where his body was shed for me, where he was put in a tomb, and where he rose from the dead. They get real wishy-washy about all of this. And then they deny the Lord, meaning they deny what Jesus said about himself. Okay, that's what that means by denying. And they don't usually come right out. They always mix it up with the bit of truth when they get into their falsehoods. So you'll find these false teachers everywhere. And I'm not just beating up now on other people. I want you to hear that because I'm going to talk about apostasy that Sandy and I experienced in a Baptist church when we were newlyweds. And we found it hard to believe. Number one, this is right out there in front. Any movement that promotes something other than God incarnate. Do y'all know what that means? God himself coming in the flesh as Jesus to redeem mankind by dying on a cross. And I, I wrote this out. Okay. This wasn't copied anywhere for the punishment of my sins and yours and rising again on the third day is heresy. Jesus is either God or he isn't. And I'm telling you, scripture says that he is such people as Mormons and Jehovah's witness. And please don't think, Oh, he's bashing people will come to you and talk to you all about Jesus but they're talking about a different Jesus. Again, I say using orthodox vocabulary, but not using the same dictionary, okay? Then we have liberal Protestantism. I don't want to just pick on the Mormons. Liberal Protestants like last week, the Methodist Church went against its own rules, and they elected uh, a guy that was a, a gay pastor and they elected him to be a bishop against their own rules. And as you may have heard, this has created gigantic division in the Methodist church, which is splintering and busting off. And Wednesday night, we had to comfort, or Monday night, we had to comfort one of these people from the Minister's Alliance who has been a Methodist, a black African Methodist Episcopal person since 160 years ago. And she's just devastated. So I intend to have her at the service next uh, Sunday night and to pray for her and to be with her. Then we have also, it's, it's drifted over before I pick on the Baptist into what I call liberal Roman Catholicism. I don't mean Orthodox Roman Catholicism, but this is the idea that's, that, that somehow Jesus really is a message of Marxism and liberation the, uh, theology. And I saw this when I lived in El Salvador Instead of a theology being preached about Jesus going to the cross for my sins and yours, it was a theology preached that somehow Jesus was sort of like Che Guevara. Do you all know who that is? Che Guevara was a murderer that, that was involved in the Cuban Revolution. Theology that's liberation theology preaches a false Jesus and coerced redistribution of wealth. It's communism. 
Then it's also in evangelical circles. When Sandy and I were first married, we went to a Christmas Eve service at a main Baptist church in Houston, Texas. And I'm not talking about First Baptist or Second Baptist. I want to put that right out there. But it's an old Baptist church, giant. Maybe there were 1,500 people in attendance. On a Christmas Eve service, we heard that pastor, and I thought I was mistaken, say that miracles never happened, that Jesus is a great guy, he's a great model for us to follow, and that the Bible has some great instructive material, but miracles really didn't happen, and they didn't need to, because Jesus was enough without the miracles. Can you all believe that? And we left, and I said, Sandy, did I hear what I heard? She goes, you heard what you heard. We just couldn't believe it. So that was, that was we're old now. That was uh, 40 years ago. This apostasy never goes away. False teachers come, and they will come, and you need to learn to spot them. It's heresy, okay? Jesus, he said, was a great moral example, and he referred to his divinity. He talked about his lofty ethics. You know what? His ethics don't get you to heaven. His shed blood on the cross is what gets you to heaven. Can I get an amen from somebody? All right. It, this is a, he said, Jesus is a superb example, but there was no talk of Jesus being God incarnate or that we had the need to confess him as Savior and Lord to repent. Nothing about repentance, nothing about deliverance. Chapter, verse 2, and many will follow their destructive ways because of the way. Uh-oh. My screen went away. That's why I said, uh-oh. Because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So what does that mean, the way of truth? Jesus, Faber, you quoted a verse today in men's Sunday school. Did Jesus say that wide is the gate and many will go through? He said what? He said narrow is the way. All right, and there's few that will go through. And why is, it, why is that? Why is it that false teachers teach a wide way? Because it makes people feel good. It tickles their ears is the way Paul says it. They talk about how giving a certain amount will end up making you wealthy. They talk about it doesn't matter who you love. It's just that if you're really loving someone sincerely, don't ever mistake sincerity for truth. Do you all hear me? Just because someone's sincere, they can be sincere about a dastardly, quote, gospel that will send you straight to hell. Sincerity doesn't matter truthfulness is what matters. Jesus was clear that the way to heaven is a narrow gate. It's not a wide gate. And false teachers do this by scuttling. That means throwing aside standards of morality. The standards of morality may not save you, but they are the fulfillment of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we studied in men's group today, of living a moral life and a clean life, and the kind of life that is a righteous, and I don't mean righteous before God, but a righteous life, the way you were meant to live. It does matter whom you love, and it does matter how you are loving them. Verse 3, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle. Their destruction does not slumber. As I said, it's based in covetousness and in pride, that false teachers are after your money. They are after power. They are after sex. They are after influence. It's a very easy step to jump from pastoring 
<laughs> I like this. I thought of this last night. Three Ps. It's an easy jump from pastoring to pilfering pr and preying on people. I don't mean P-R-A-Y, but P-R-E-Y. You can prey on people because they put their confidence in you. William Darby, who founded the movement called the Plymouth Brethren Movement, I believe, in Ireland in the 1850s. It was kind of a home Bible church kind of a movement, home church movement. He said, the devil is never more satanic than when he carries a Bible. That's a pretty good quote, isn't it? Anyway, these false teachers with their Bibles in hand are what Pastor Larry calls posers. They're fakes. They pretend to be righteous ministers of the gospel, but they're in it for themselves. And Peter tells us that they're they're going to get what they deserve, so there's no need to get too worried about them. It's coming. You go, well, who's going to stop this guy? And it's easy for us to pick on television evangelists. But some of them, guys, are big, big crooks and big false teachers, okay, fleecing the flock that they were probably called originally to minister to if they were called at all. Verse 4, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, what is he talking about? What angels sinned? but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. He's going to say, if God didn't spare the angels, he ain't going to spare these guys either. You listen up because you're always asking me about this. He's going to talk here about three things. I'm, I'm picking on Tim. I've known Tim a long time. Number one, he's going to talk about, about judgment on angels, two, judgment on the wicked before the flood, and three, judgment on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you look over in Jude chapter 6, and Jude was one of the human brothers of Jesus, the earthly brothers of Jesus, Jude says, and God has kept the rebellious heavenly messengers bound and chained in utter darkness, shadowy gloom until the time when his judgment arrives because they failed to keep their rightful position and abandoned their appointed realms. What is he talking about? When I first came here, Tim's burning question was, what does Genesis 6-2 mean? The sons of God saw daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And this was wickedness to God, okay? And that's one reason the flood came, is it destroyed these half-breeds, let's call them. Sons of God is interesting, because if you go look, and this is why it's so important to know a little bit of the original languages, I'm going to show you in a minute. If you look in your NIV, and I'm not picking you if you use an NIV, it just says angels, okay? It doesn't say sons of God. But the sons of God were referred to as angels in Job 1, or angels referred to as sons of God in Job 1.6 and 2.1. I just picked this up for you, and you can get this off Bible Hub. It says, Bene Ha Elohim. It, that's the original, that is what uh, this was written in when, when, whoever wrote it, Job wrote it, or whoever wrote Job, and it says that the sons of God, I'm just showing you that because I thought that's interesting because I saw that it was different in the NIV. So they did, what they did, uh, Tim, is the reason this was wrong to God is because they went outside of the bounds that God had ordained for angels to, to be out of, and you think, well, I always thought, well, they can't do that. Angels can't have sexual operation well, yeah they can we know they can because remember when the guys showed up at lot's house they were actually angels and the men that were there said bring them on out we want to get to know them carnally they wanted to rape them essentially is what they wanted to do so so peter's telling us that those angels 
okay, that did that, they were cast, they were put in chains of darkness, and they were reserved for judgment. He's just reiterating how servants of the Lord can end up being coming under great judgment. And he went on, and in number five, did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. It was interesting. Last night I called Dr. House because I said, Dr. House, I don't understand why. Did Peter get this story from Jude or did Jude get it from Peter? If you go read Jude, it's almost identical to this or it's 80% the same. And he told me, no, scholars think that they probably got it from a common source, maybe the book of Enoch or some teaching or that kind of thing. But it is God's word and it was meant to be preserved so we study it. Um, I wanted to read about that instance uh, of, of Noah and his God's destruction of the wicked mankind then. Listen, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth and he was grieved. So the Lord said, I'll destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, man and beast, creeping things. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I thought, wow, what a time of destruction and judgment that was. But, you know, we know from Romans 5, 20, that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. God, through his grace and his mercy, saved Noah and his sons and their wives. So God didn't give a pass to the wicked of that day. That's what Peter's saying. And he's not going to give a pass to the wicked of this day either. I, this last election day, you know, some, some different statutes were passed. And one that particularly bothered me, and I have to admit that I don't know it in its entirety, was in Montana where they said that you could not bring any action against a medical worker who would not save a child that was born with viability, meaning if an abortion quote, went wrong and the baby was alive, that you just have to leave the baby there, that if a doctor left the baby there to die on a, on a table, that there would be no prosecution against it. You know, these things can keep you up at night. But when you, you see them, whether that's the full extent of that law or not, I don't know. I'm not saying that it is. I haven't read the statute. But what helps me to realize is that God doesn't miss anything. God takes an account of everything. God will hold these people accountable. They will be judged. We don't have to stay up all night worried about it. You know, we, but we don't have to be silent about it either. Then we go on to six. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Lot was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know which of the two, okay? And those are down somewhere near the Dead Sea. We don't know exactly. And they were centers of basically perversion, sexual perversion. We know that, as I said, when the angels came there to the city to visit the city, that there was that whole weird story where they come out and they want to know them carnally. The whole place had become just a giant, horrible uh, den of iniquity, okay? And in Romans, and, and again, y'all, this is God's word. These aren't my words. In Romans 1, uh, this was nothing new. Sin is not new, Okay. Paul talks about it. He says, and even the women exchange their natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Guys, God has an order of ways, an order of things. 
When we fall into sin, we are not called to explain it away. We are called to repentance. We are called to repentance, and false teachers don't call for repentance. Verses 7 and 8 go on and talk about how Lot, I, I sometimes just put what interests me the most. Lot was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. We don't really see that in that, in that account back in, in Genesis, but we're, we are explain these things. Peter illustrates it when we read these scriptures, we might be shocked by the moral failures of Lot. I kind of was. Remember, uh, just Lot was kind of a weird guy. But Peter tells us that Lot was righteous, but he had become oppressed and overcome by the filthy conduct of the wicked around him. Guys, be careful, especially young people. Be careful of who you hang out with. Paul says that evil company corrupts good habits. We had a young man that used to come to this church regularly. He's fallen in with people that do all kinds of crazy stuff, and that ends up making your judgment cloudy. You end up with a hangover, and you end up wrecking your car or doing other weird stuff, okay? It's because the Bible is true. Evil company corrupts good habits, and it happens often very, very quietly and softly, and the next thing you know, evil has its hands around your neck, amen? So God saw that Lot had genuine faith. He loved righteousness. He hated sin, but Lot became overwhelmed. You know what Lot should have done? He should have moved out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why did he stay there? You know, I've often wondered, why is this one guy in Sodom and Gomorrah? Probably he was making money. Probably there was something in it for him. Sometimes you just have to pull up stakes and you need to move, okay? And that's what Lot did. Verses 9 through 10 say, and I put this at the top, the wicked are going to get their own, all right? If you're from the South, you understand they're going to get theirs. Y'all know what that means. Some of y'all from places out West may not know what that means, but they're going to get theirs. They're going to get their own. The Lord will deliver the godly, and he's going to punish the ungodly. It's all, it's going to all work itself out, and that should be a comfort to us because we can be overwhelmed. Guys, the I mean, things truly are going to hell in a handbasket, you know. And you can be overwhelmed and become depressed. And, I mean, I remember my son, I think he he always listened to my podcast saying he didn't want to bring up kids in an evil world. Well, that's no reason to go and not have children. Praise God he had a child. I have a granddaughter. But, But anyway, someone's just sent me Ezekiel 16, 47 through 51, and I can't look that up when I'm preaching, but I just, that comes up on here. So we, we, we watch out for false teachers that come to us and tell us that evil is good and good is evil. Guys, you got to learn to spot a fake. The best way to spot a fake is to know what the real thing is. All right? We had a men's Bible study, Michael and, and Scott and I, that we still have. It's Tuesday mornings. That's how I met Larry. And, and we had this guy that would come, and he, he used all the right vocabulary. He came. He had actually been a member of Union Grove back in the 1990s. That's how I first met him. He came and invited me to, to Union Grove. Isn't, that, isn't it strange how things happen? And he would come, and we would spend a lot of time preparing for the morning, and he would come, and he would claim grace and the priesthood of the believer. Hey, I'm under grace and the priesthood of the believer, and he would interpret scriptures any crazy way that he wanted to, okay, saying, I'm a priest, a priesthood of the believer, and I'm going to call him Joe. Joe was saved 
but he continued to let his flesh dominate his life. We would get into some conversation. I see Scott smiling and kind of laughing. Remembers Joe. And, and he, it would invariably go back to some sordid uh, thing of his sexual experience he had uh, in, in his younger days. It was just a perversion in Joe's mind, okay? He excused away his immoral behaviors. He would tell us, I'm saved by grace. That's all that matters. And, uh, and finally, one day, sweet Russell, and Russell listens to the podcast too, said, Joe, we don't come here to hear about your unredeemed life. We don't come here to hear about who you did what with whom. We don't want to hear any of that. We are here to understand how we can live a life that's redeemed, walking in grace, and where we can be the people that God wants us to be. Amen. And y'all remember what happened? Joe slammed his Bible shut, got up and walked away from our breakfast, and we never saw Joe again. Joe was there just to stir up trouble. Joe didn't realize who had stirred him up. But that's a, a false teacher can be that, uh, what am I trying to say, innocuous, that divisive, that it wasn't even a teacher, but he would promote himself as a teacher. Thank you, Russell. I know you listened. Thanks for running Joe off. And even though Joe's in heaven, we didn't have to put up with Joe's nonsense anymore. <laughs> Scott said, praise the Lord. His, oh, amen. Pastor Michael said his delight was not in the Lord. It was in his stories that he told that's where and he would get a gleam in his eye and I remember him saying he would get this funny gleam and he would go the problem is sin just is fun but Joe never said but sin leads you down a path of destruction all right so anyway so much about Joe verses 11 through 14 I know I'm throwing a bunch in here but I want to wrap things up Peter ends verses 11 through 14 telling us that these kind of people are debased. They're posers. They're fakes. Self is their ambition. Their stories are their ambition. Their finances are their ambition. Their sexual pleasure, okay, out of this so-called walk with Christ. They are, in fact, brute beasts, he says, selfishly given over to their animalistic tendencies. Paul tells us we're saved by grace through faith, but we are never to give sin an excuse through grace that we've been given. Joe gave himself an excuse, all right, in, in his false teaching. And I found an interesting translation. It's, it's uh, not a word-for-word -word translation, so we need to be cautious, but it's called the voice. And it says, grace is no license to sin. As creatures, we are made to serve our creator. In the absence of truth, we will serve somebody or something. It is an essential part of our nature. Our only choice is this, whom will we serve? At one time, we all served sin and grew weak under its deadly power over us. Now, through God's grace, we have become servants of obedience that sets us right with God, with each other, and ourselves. We must daily decide whose servant we are and offer him our hands, our feet, our hearts, and our eyes. I love that. I thought that was so cool. So yesterday, we said goodbye to Marianne. This is a good place to start. We, uh, Eddie, who's uh, Doreen's brother, wanted to say the creed. He's from uh, a Lutheran tradition. And I said, that's fine, because I, I grew up saying the creed in that Episcopal school that I went to. And 
what's so wonderful, this is the Apostles' Creed. We don't say creeds as Baptists because, you go, well, why don't we? Because we venerate God's Word above something that man has written, okay? It doesn't mean that the creed doesn't have truth in it. The creed is taken from about 23 verses in the Bible that I could recite. But I had a friend in Chile, and uh, it's kind of a long story, and I don't want to go into it now. He came and preached to us here. But he said one day we were talking, I said, you've never tried to influence me with your maybe your differing theologies from my own. He says, Faber, I've been a missionary in Chile for 18 years. I've decided what I'll die for. I said, well, what will you die for, Don? It was called the Don Cartledge Desk. His name was Don. He said, I believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. And he began to recite this ancient creed that began probably, we think, with the apostles after on the day of Pentecost saying, how do we state what we really believe? The creed was finally put to its final form in about the year 400 in Gaul, where I think probably St. Patrick had a part in all that. Incidentally, whatever happened to my St. Patrick thing up here, it's gone. I noticed that last yesterday, my quilt. But Oh, it's underneath there. Thank you. So anyway, uh, what's a good thing is if you pull the creed out and look at it, and I put on what holy Catholic really means, it's kataholos, which just means as is for the whole. That's what that means in Greek. It means all the communion of saints, of anyone who's trusted in Christ. But you'll notice that a lot of these things, when you have a false teacher come along, if you don't know the Bible completely, these immediately tell you, they'll come along and say, he really wasn't conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what that Baptist pastor said that day. Bingo, you know that that's a false teacher. That he wasn't born by a virgin. Have you all ever heard Christians say that? All right, bingo, it's a false teacher. That he was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into the dead. We know that from what we studied a month ago in here. And on the third day, he rose again. If Jesus wasn't crucified, then it's a false Jesus. If he didn't die for my sins, he's a false Jesus. If he didn't descend, if he didn't rise on the third day, what Paul tells us, if Jesus didn't rise, then this is all for nothing, okay? Uh, he'll come to judge the living and the dead and so on and so forth. Anyway, these are some markers that kind of help you if you want to distinguish truth, the best way to know what's a fake is to come and continue to come like you're doing. Study the Bible verse by verse. Know God's word because Jesus said his word is truth. That's how you know how to spot a fake. When I came here, I was afraid of myself more than I was afraid of anything. And I just said, Lord, help me to never fail this congregation. Don't be one of these people that you end up finding had this weird dual life that some horrible person, you know, praise God, he's kept me to that to, to date. And I said, I know I'll disappoint you guys because I'm just a human, but I don't want to fail you. And with God's grace, I'll never fail you. Pastor Larry never will and the, the others that come in and pastor among us. So I love you guys. I'm doing my best to be an overseer, to keep these sheep, these wolves out of here. They're going to come and we're getting ready to grow. I'm not any kind of a prophet, but I see 249 come in, all right? Uh, we're going to grow, and we're going to have all kinds of folks that come in here. Let's just always have our eyes open on what is truth, and let's keep studying the Word, and let's know how to distinguish what's authentic and what isn't, 
and and understand what and don't forget what Peter's told us in this passage. Amen. All right, Scott, would you come up and close this in prayer? me today we're going to say a prayer here and then we're going to close with an ending song father we thank you for the word that you give us may it dwell richly within our hearts father if we don't open our eyes and our ears and hear what you have to speak to us how will we have a relationship with you lord father let us be open wrung out cleansed of all our iniquities cleansed of everything that we uh, create on this earth father fill us with your presence may the holy spirit the interpreter the helper be filled and consumed in our very soul and our being. Father, may we have your word overflow from our hearts and our lips will speak only the truth, Lord. May we be comforted with the joy of your word, with the love of the spirit. And Father, we, we, we praise you. We look forward to the day of the returning of the Lord Jesus Christ and that every knee shall bow at your word, Lord. Amen. 